This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of harvesting nature. We want to celebrate your love and appreciation for the show, so during the month of June, we're going to be collecting entries for a giveaway which we'll, we'll announce on July 1st. So there's a link over in the show notes where you can go and enter the contest. There's about 10 different ways to enter. Each one gets you different points, but you can go explore that on your own. More importantly, we'll be giving away a West End Meat Grinder, an autographed copy of Eat Wild Game by Harvest in Nature, Justin Townsend, along with some Traeger sauces and seasonings. So go check out the show notes, click the link, and enter today. Everyone, uh, welcome back to the Harvest in Nature Wild Fishing Game podcast. Uh, we're doing another uh, pseudo-like guest episode, but also a crew episode. So we've got a nice mixture of people that have participated in Harvest in Nature at one point or the other. So we're all sort of here hanging out. Um, got some cool topics today, but first off, I want to kick it off and uh, let everybody do some introductions. So uh, Sean, kick it over to you. All right, thanks. Uh, I'm Sean West. I'm one half of GetOutAndGoHunting.com. Uh, we're a we're a site and a social media uh, couple of guys that just uh, been hunting a lot our lives since we were little, and uh, we've also been participating with Harvesting Nature. Uh, have written with them since uh, 2000, and I want to say 15. Yeah, and it sounds about right. Yeah, and it's been great. It's been fun. We, you know, we uh, have a very aligned vision i think with harvestingnature.com there's a lot of uh, uh things that we have in common and, and i'm really excited to be here this is gonna be fun 
And the one thing I think cool to mention about Sean is he's uh he's part of our Canadian contingent uh, up there in the, in the Great White North. That wasn't apparent from anything I said with my accent. <laughs> I noticed, I noticed the oot rather than the out. The oot, right so. away. I got to get to his oot. So, and uh, we got Randy on as well. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Randy King. I am a chef and a hunter. So kind of what I do is I try to find the balance between hunting and cooking and making sure that those things work well together. So my uh, my mission, as it were, is to help people get the most out of wild game and wild game cooking while having a good time doing it. So I, uh, I have a website. It's uh, chefrandyking.com for a complete lack of creativity. I just figured if you put <laughs> chef and then my name, um, it'd be a good website name. Um, I did put out a book a couple of years ago, about 2015, Chef in the Wild. Um, it's available on Amazon. Go out and uh, grab yourself one if you want some fun stories and oh, some that. cool recipes. There it is. There it oh, is. Yeah. Oh, wow. I like it. I like it. Um, so on my end, it's really just about how to make sure that game is treated well and that people eat well because it's, it's you know, we're out taking lives and making sure we do the right things with them. So there's no need to eat, you know, bad food either. That's my mojo. Boom. Colin. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. This is Colin, co-host. Uh, happy to be back on the show, as always, and uh, looking forward to talking to both of our guests. Well, so our one guest and our other, uh, editor, they're both guests. guests, both yeah. guests, both guests. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <Randy. laughs> um, so you want to explain to everyone why your house is super hollow and empty? Oh yeah. So sorry for the echo. If uh, anybody hears that coming through, I had the movers come yesterday and, uh, they cleaned house, uh, literally and, um, took all my furniture, all, everything in here because I'll be moving to Oregon in just about two and a half, three weeks. So going from, I think it's actually the most amount of travel days I can get in the military because it's just, <laughs> it's literally one corner of the country to the other. So while staying within the, inside the continental United States. So where so, are you going in Oregon? Uh, it's like Astoria, Warrington area. So right at the mouth of Columbia river. Uh, on the border of Washington and Oregon. So be a pretty nice spot. I've already scoped it out. And actually a couple episodes ago, we talked about uh, uh, how I did my process for putting in for tags and controlled hunts and, uh, and the like out there. So we'll see what it's, see what it's like. I'm still a pretty, for you guys, I'm still a pretty uh, amateur novice hunter. I've gone out with Justin a couple of times uh, up in South Florida and uh, gone out a couple of times in Colorado too. But uh, still learning, and it's kind of my uh, what I bring here is helping other people who are willing to learn and, and are looking to learn more about it as I go through the same journey. I am six hours away from your new home, so when you want to go mule deer hunting or you want to go black bear hunting or whatever it is, if the offer is uh is there, just make sure we connect. And uh, awesome, yeah, Idaho's, I'm going to take you up on home, that. Man. So, so I love that. That's cool that you're coming clear across the country. Uh, so near me, it's, uh, it's funny when you were a kid, you used to think that six hours away was, uh, such a, a giant leap. And now it's just like, Hey, you're right across the way. Come on over. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, so, uh, as long as you don't mind taking a, taking a greenhorn around, uh, 
You know, as I'm, long as I'm you down. Point your head up a hill and go. You're fine. Um, that's that, that's what I'm known for. So <laughs> there you go. All right, all right. Yeah. The big hills of Florida. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I definitely um, I'm really happy that both you guys could hop on and and uh, Randy too. Last minute you could join us. It's uh it's pretty exciting because I I haven't like we were talking about before. Randy, I chatted with you probably. Last time we chat, minus you came to Key West, and I don't think we were able to connect, unfortunately. Right. And then uh, time before that, I mean, aside from emails back and forth, we, we did a, a podcast way back in the day. And uh, and then Sean has been sort of email, email and social media for, for several years. So um, I think it. I was eager to have both of you on there uh, on the podcast today because I think you both provide some cool perspectives. You both cook great food, and uh, I love both of your reading and watching and seeing both of your hunting adventures. So I know we'll we'll have some fun conversation here shortly. But uh, I think definitely leading off, uh, I want to talk about some black bear. And uh, I, I want to spend a good, a good, however much we feel like talking about black bear today, uh, a little bit about hunting it, but a lot of bit about, about eating it because uh, I, I definitely enjoy eating black bear. It's been a little while, like I told you both, but um, it's still at the top is one of my favorites. So I know, Randy, you've been doing a lot of bear hunting here lately, so I'm, I'm curious on some of your adventures. <laughs> uh, adventures and misadventures is the better way to put it. <laughs> um, so black bears for me are like a, an excuse to backpack is what I take them as. Um, so, so for the last number of years, every spring, I, I kind of work my way through turkey season. Usually I tag out on turkeys and then I go, all right, now it's black bear season. And so what I get to do is just go camping in the spring and, and glass a lot, which is honestly two of my favorite things in the world. And then sometimes I see bears. It's just been the last couple of years that I've managed to turn that into seeing bears and getting bears. So it's been a remarkable, um, run last year. I got, um, a nice, a nice brown bear or a nice cinnamon colored bear. And this year I actually got a, um, a little blonde bear. And then this last weekend, um, my son, we could, we didn't end up harvesting him. Um, we ended up losing him, which is unfortunate, but my son got on a black bear last year and I'm leaving on Saturday morning to go after a big cinnamon bear I saw on this drain, um, a few hours north of here. So bears have started to become a, uh, a new love for me in the spring. It's like, go find morels go pick fiddlehead ferns and go shoot a black bear. And like, if I can do those three things in a day, it's like the winningest of winning days. Um, and then sometimes I can even go salmon fishing if I'm in the right location. So it's like, it's, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. So you mentioned sort of cinnamon and blonde and black bear. Can you just uh, clarify a little bit for the listeners? You may not kind of know the difference between the, the bears. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So bears come like a, in a spectrum of colors, let's say. So like a good analogy would be with like Labradors, right? So Labradors, there's black ones, there's brown ones, there's blonde ones, right? But they're all Labrador retrievers for a lack of better ways to put it. So with bears, they're all in the black bear family, but you can have different colors come in the same, same litter and things like that. So what ends up happening is the way that I understand it is that the closer you are to an arid climate, 
the more likely you are to have color phase bears. So basically, the darker the timber, the blacker the bear, the closer to sagebrush, the more likely you are to have cinnamon-colored bears or to have blonde-colored bears. So the first bear I ever got actually was a cinnamon-colored bear, then a black bear, and then this last bear that I got um, was actually a bright blonde bear. I'm talking like bleach blonde California girl on its back, blonde bear. It was pretty cool. Um, and actually, its color is what got it shot. Unfortunately, um, I was glassing this hillside and I saw a funny looking elk disappear into the timber and I sat and waited for that funny looking elk to come back out. Um, and it was no elk, um, you know, cause they kind of have that same color. It was, I was like, that's a fall colored elk. What's going on here? And so I glassed and glassed and glassed and all of a sudden a little, a little bear popped out, but they're so much fun and so much, uh, of a contrast and just a different thing to hunt compared to the other kinds, but that the, all those color spectrums. What you have to be wary of in hunting certain spots is that you're not hunting a grizzly because a grizzly, a small grizzly can kind of look like a, a large cinnamon bear, but in my opinion, not really. And especially if you're in an area that's known to have grizzlies, you really should know how to ID. Sean, you guys have, you guys run into grizzlies up there that way or more to the no, West? It's really West of us. Like Ontario's got, no grizzly bear population at all and then if you're in alberta british columbia uh then especially down around the the badlands and the border and then through the kootenai mountains in british columbia and stuff uh will they'll be grizz i went on a turkey hunting trip in the kootenays in 2014 uh hunting miriams with a really close friend of mine and uh it was my first experience with grizzly bears and we didn't actually encounter any but we we were definitely on watch and we had uh one day we had bear tracks in our tracks which was which is a little disconcerting, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we don't get the, the grizzlies in Ontario. It's strictly black bears and we do have, uh, color phase bears. Well, uh, not mm -hmm. as, as frequently as, as my recent informal research, maybe if you will indicates, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, you'll see every now and then, uh, you know, in a magazine and social media in Ontario, you know, a, a color phase bear. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't specifically our group, our crew, kind of target bears they're i don't want to say they're byproduct for us but we you know we'll buy a bear tag but we don't you know unlike randy who's you know kind of works through turkey season and then gets into into bears we have mm -hmm. a spring bear hunt in ontario now and it's back uh, there's a big long history that if you want to know about I'll, I'll give you the coles notes version but for a while we had one and then we didn't and now we do again uh and uh you know there are hunters that do what, what randy does where it's where it's you know turkey season bear season crossing over but for us, it's strictly black bears, and uh, and for our group specifically, it's mostly fall hunting for us. We we, uh, we don't really do much targeted spring hunting, and, and we don't target them in the way that you know uh, other hunters do, either you know camping out and doing kind of backcountry hunting for them, or sort of the more typical uh, operations with baiting and and, and stands and, and and multiple shot opportunities. Uh, I have a lot of friends and and acquaintances that do it that way, and and you know it's a great way to hunt bears, and it's. It's got its appeal, but uh, for our crew, for our group, you know, my family, my friends, we'll buy bear tags because uh, sports conservation, and and we like eating bears. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but it's not something we target in the same fashion. It's a little different way of hunting, really. It's 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 uh, and in the fall, it's a different way of hunting them specifically. Like you know, they're they're behaving differently in the fall. You know, in the in the spring, they're they're out of dens and and they're grazing and they're foraging and 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 uh, and they're looking to to put on as much weight as they can. And, and in the fall, it's a little more sporadic, you know, they're, they're still packing on the pounds, especially if they're, if it's not uh, too, too cold in our deer season, if it hasn't froze yet. But, uh, 
you know, the one we got, we I were fortunate enough to get one this year. My dad shot one and uh, it was, it was the late in the first week in November, which we're not, we're not on the Arctic circle where we hunt, but we're, we're in central Ontario and it's cold, you know, it's, it's winter coming on and this bear wasn't denned up yet. It was still looking to pack on. So, so that's, uh, that's how we kind of, we come across it more that way. Um, but we love eating them. So we ain't, we, if we can get one, we're, we're going to shoot one. <laughs> so do you, either one of you find, um, or see that, that hunters have a preference towards one color variation or the other? I don't. Um, I think bears for the most part are kind of ghosty when it comes to hunting. And so hunters just take the opportunities that they're given to glass up. I mean, people talk about multi-bear days and glassing multiple bears, five, six bears. I saw 10 bears that day. Those are like uh, the days where you live it on your, you know, your trout or something, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, you catch a six foot tarpon some days too, right? Yep. Like it's, it's just kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like sometimes that happens, but usually it's like, you're happy with the whatever you catch. And so I, I don't know of anybody that's ever told me a, a cinnamon bear tastes better than a black bear yeah. uh, ever. So I, I know some people will talk grizz versus black bear distinction, but I don't know of a, a color face distinction within black not, bears. not it's the same for us like I, for, for what we've seen up here again we don't have them i think as frequently as i've seen west of here in other regions where you know, especially in the states you see these the hunts on television or on social media that are in kind of the, the central western states where they've got i don't want to say an abundance of bears but they've got more color phase bears i think um here you know if someone shoots a color phase bear it's a, it's i don't say it's a big deal but it's something that's like oh wow that's, you don't see that every day it's it's kind of like uh, if I can equate it, it's like shooting a banded goose or a banded duck. It's like, hey, I, you know, I didn't think that. I just shot it because it was I was hunting it, and it's got a color phase if it's a bear. But um, that that's kind of what we see up up in my neck of the woods. Turns itself more into like a, an opportunistic, you know, um, you you know, you see people in the fishing community or even uh i'm sure waterfowl too that they'll target like one species oh i want to shoot this or i want to shoot that and they may or may not pass up but not as much apparent in the in the bear hunting community well i don't want to say in the community but i've talked to people like you know that hunt bears a lot more targeted than we do and they'll do the baiting operations they'll Mm -hmm. do the, the hard scouting and if they've got a bear on camera or they've got a bear that they've scouted that is resident to their area that, Oh, that's a big black, that's a big male, or that's a cinnamon bear. They may target it in that respect, but you know, to come back to Andy's point, like if, if they're just out looking for meat, it doesn't matter, but if they're looking for a pelt and, and, and they want to have a rug or they want to have some on the wall, then maybe they're selective around color, but. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fair. We're, we're going this weekend. Cause I saw a big cinnamon in this drain. There you go. Yeah. Um, last weekend. Right. But I'll bet money that if we see a black bear before we see that cinnamon bear, the guy I'm going with is going to shoot the black bear. Right? <laughs> not in a bad way, and I'm not making fun of him. This is nothing to nothing on um, Nate's table that I'm taking away from him. I'm just saying, like, realistically, it's usually um, like in a doe season. You're not waiting for a big doe. You're just waiting for the first doe. Yep. Right? It's yeah. just kind of the way the way it goes. So it's so that for me, that, that's the way bear and it's been it's been so great to just kick that spring fever and especially in this kind of covid time where i'm not on lockdown here in my state and they're kind of encouraging this nature to get out and 
and stuff to be able to take a right on a trail and go up somewhere where you're the first footprints that year, right, from a human. Uh, and and go up in there and, and find morels and find you know uh, fiddlehead ferns and find uh, you know we found a couple sheds looking for bears and then just just have that experience of being back in the backcountry and you know you're uh, certainly applying social distancing rules while bear hunting. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> let me let me ask you this, Randy. Um, so normally let's say we were hunting spring bear last year in Idaho. Do you tend to get a lot of pressure from out of state hunters that you think may have been sort of squashed this year? No. Okay. I don't think, um, so, so there's certainly some guides and some outfitters and some places that might, but the way that, I hunt bears in the way that a lot of people that I know hunt bears, they don't see that pressure because you you have to go to basically a trailhead, then find the worst looking trail that you can find, right? Climb climb two thousand vertical feet, right? And and then you find the greenest knob that's still got a snow line up above it, right? And that's where you just sit in glass. And and not too many people are going to come from out of state and say, you know what I want to do? I want to roll the dice on my week of vacation and walk up some trail I've never been to and don't know if there's any bears at. And, you know, the, it just like it just doesn't really line up for most people to, to really do that. So this last weekend, we were at a really popular trailhead. Um, literally, we when we left, somebody pulled into our parking spot because it was the last one there. And when we were up top, because we gained 2,000 feet on a trail, no one else was there. We never saw another human until we lost 2,000 feet, and we're on the main trail headed out and back at the parking lot when we ran into people. So it's just one of those cases of bear hunting, especially if you do on the backcountry spot and stock, which is what we like to do, is usually got a, a pretty high barrier to entry. And so it ha- I haven't seen ever very many people do it. And so... And that's usually the case too, because it's I kind of I subscribe to the two ridges theory. Basically, if I can go two ridges over from the trailhead, I'm past ninety percent of the people that are going to go hunting. Yeah. And if I can do that, I'm past probably ninety-five percent of the people that are from out of state, right? Because if they don't got the right maps, they're not comfortable. They don't know the area, right? And if they're just cold rolling into somewhere, I, I know I'm past almost everybody. And luckily, I get a I got a good pair of shorter legs and a strong back, so if I get something, I can go. Yeah usually get it out so but I, I haven't seen much effect but i'm sure if you talk to the guide associations it's been very detrimental to their spring bear season i know for the fishing populations we've had a down year for our salmon fishing there's a lot of people that do like a backcountry jet boat where they jet boat and go salmon fishing for a couple of days and do a they'll sit a bear stand or spot and stock on bears and so those operations are really hurting but as far as the over-the-counter guys that are just kind of doing the diy stuff I don't think it's had an effect. I've heard a, a lot of stories, a lot of the, the guides for spring bear, like pretty much all across sort of the the, the northern, we'll say northern western states and, and even up into Alaska and uh, just getting kind of hit hard with this. And some places spring bear got canceled altogether. And so mm-hmm. it's just kind of unfortunate scenario uh, for some of those guys. So. Just like we were talking earlier about the restaurant industry and just looking at hunting and fishing guides sort of uh, within that category of of the, I don't know. I, ho- I hope that m- more 
have the the fortitude to come out of this than than less, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the service industry doesn't run on a high margin, right? It's it's not a a money making endeavor to be a guide. Yeah, right. You're doing it because you want to be outside. Yeah. Um, so so like you're saying, if if you've got an operation, you've got a camp, you've got a cabin, you've got employees, you've got a boat, you've got the the requisite gear that's on lease. I mean, it's just a I mean, it's a whole season. You know, you might not come back next season. It's just it's just it's sad. Yeah. But that is the time we are in. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is choices that, choices that were made, and you know, I. I trying to save grandma and i love that and so sometimes that uh has affected hopefully people can, can work through and hopefully we can spend our money wisely when this is done to support the things that we believe in yeah um and get back on their feet well said yeah i, I agree with that uh 100 we've been you know down here uh in the keys we are talking sort of about the uh the fact that a lot of the service industry, restaurant, hotels, and things just completely shutting down and sort of losing businesses right and left. And, and we started this thing uh, Thursday. So every Thursday during when it was sort of locked down and they were doing takeout only, we'd rotate around and we'd buy, you know, we'd get a big meal from a, a local restaurant and we'd just keep moving around and, and all throughout the different weeks, different place, and uh, really trying to get back out there and, uh, now that things have sort of opened more and uh, things have eased up, uh, Colin and I were having a discussion yesterday about sort of looking at some charter fishing and stuff like that. Not normally one to go out on a, a charter boat, uh, but I think it's it's cool because those guys, like we said, they're definitely hurting too. And if you know yeah. if it if it means me dropping a little bit of of cash where I wouldn't normally to go out and help those guys out and get some fish, sure, why not? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we started something up here with our group. Uh, you know, we posted it kind of absentmindedly on our social media feed because there was a lot of talk in, in uh, you know, late March, early April about scrubbing turkey season, scrubbing bear season, and scrubbing fishing. And I already bought my tags, and that money goes to conservation. So buy your tags, like you said. You know, even if you don't get to go or something you wouldn't normally do, supporting that, those things you love, supporting those things that need that that injection now, is the best thing we can do as sportsmen and, and sportswomen and, and the community is like, you know, support the things you love. Cause that's, that's what keeps them going. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, um, in the U S especially like a lot, you know, your, your dollars that you're going buying tags or whatnot, putting in for drawings, maybe not drawing or whatever, like that money's all going somewhere and it's going back into conservation. I think, it's a not to harp on it, but that's an important thing that it's it's good to ensure we're we're on the forefront of of thinking forward uh, yeah. about those things. But you always feel better about your conservation dollars when you draw a tag versus when you don't. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, like oh we, man, we have a moose. We have a we have a moose, we have a moose draw in the in the province of Ontario, and it is the most controversial. Like everybody loves it when they get a bull tag and it's the most broken system in the world when, when they don't get, when they just get a calf, you know, like it's, it's oh sure like, but, but again, like we joke about it and it's fine. Like it, it's a very first world hunting problem. <laughs> you, you can, you can, I only drew this or I got preference points for next year. Like, but you're that money, mm-hmm. like, like Justin said, that's, 
for a long time, we've been able as a kind of hunting community, I think all across North America, the Canadian and USA models are, are essentially aligned that, that we are the prime drivers economically of conservation. And it's something that we as a community can, can continue to say, and I think it's a, it's a badge of honor and, and to see that go away or potentially go away because of, of, of this pandemic, like it, it just, it's, it worries me. Talk about the things that you love mm-hmm. coming back, you know, restaurants and business as well. What about that, conservation? Right? So it's that, and also people who are in charge making the policies and decisions, they're likely not going to see the connection. But like, oh, well, there are you know not as many people bought tags this year, not many, not as many people put in for draws this year. They must be losing interest, and maybe we'll defund some of these programs. When really, it's oh, they're not even allowed to go out because the management areas are closed, or uh, the the charters aren't going out, or the guides aren't aren't being able to take people out because of the restrictions so it, it's that connection but like oh well there might not be as many people applying for those opportunities this year but that's not because it's losing interest it's because we can't so whether yeah it's we got state. pushback we, we got pushback on our page like i said we posted just mm-hmm. kind of something absent-minded like hey buy your tags yeah and most people were supportive but some people were like well actually if it comes down to buying two turkey tags or paying the gas bill pay the gas bill and that's absolutely fair right like yeah yeah. we're we're very fortunate in in our and you know right in some ways so i mean that it's fair it's more i think the spirit of that ethic but you're absolutely right colin like i would hope in both our countries that the powers that be can make the connection between a pandemic and a loss in revenues versus like a defunding because oh people must not care anymore right but then again not to make it about that but who knows with government (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I I think it it's an interesting that we're we're on this topic because I'm seeing um so we just had the first phase of Florida alligator tags draw um and they saw a huge increase so last night or last year the first phase saw twelve thousand applicants and uh and this is statewide this year it grew to 16,000. So an increase of, of over 4,000 people in one year. Uh, I think Florida too is also seeing a, an increase of, of fishing uh, license being purchased. And part of that too goes back to what we were discussing earlier about them allowing uh, fishing and, and boating during, during the COVID environment um, uh, to say. So, I think it's interesting too is after we step away from this sort of to look back uh you know 6 months ahead from now to look back and say all right in the the spring like what's the amount of dollars going into fishing license are people putting in are more people putting into drawings like is there a correlation or is it just because people were you know um just it was a circumstance and it just just happened that way i think a lot of it has to do with food security too i mean to kind of align it with you know harvesting nature and, and some of our things that we talk about on get Gawning is like i think a lot of people realize that i can get my own food right like i don't have to go and wait in a line social distance i don't have to deal with shortages i mean up here in canada there's been a lot of talk about shortages in the meat industry because of of uh, of uh Kind of social distancing and, and people not working at plants because there's there's potential for illness or, or you can't maintain social distancing and i think a lot of like this uptick because i you know in turkey hunting we've seen a ton of it up here in turkey season where there's so many more turkey hunters one i think because they have the time 
And two, because they want they want protein and they don't want to go to the grocery store and they want to have that security of, of providing for themselves in, in a time of crisis. I think that's a really important psychological part of this as well. I, I think I could agree to that. I mean, we were just on last episode, we were talking with the the guys from Allen Company and they're they're based in Colorado and they're like, Hey man, we're we're next to to one of the largest like meat processing companies in the United States and like they're going through these same problems and they're cutting down staff and they're uh it's affecting their production rates and then you see people post on social media like, Hey, I'm at Costco and they're like, There's not steaks in the freezer and it's just like, Well, you know, you have the power to change that, and I would, I would love to see the continued growth of of the outdoor industry and people have an interest in in putting in for tags. Yep. Um. You know, putting in for tags, buying license, going to hunter ed courses. Like, yeah, that that's the first step that paints the picture for a way. You know, to to be like, all right, next spring, I'm I'm hunting bear. So those steaks are better. And anyways. I bear think... steaks are better. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than beef steaks, bear steaks. Well, since we I would argue that we we transitioned to that um talking about eating black bear. Um how do you each feel sort of the the profile and the taste of of bear meat? in comparison to something. And I know it's hard to compare like a domestic uh, raised like beef or anything else to, to bear because they're drastically different. But even looking at wild game in comparison, uh, venison or, or any of the lot. Uh, so it all depends on a couple, a couple of things. So it's time of year you get the bear, time in the age of the bear right so one of the things i always bring up to people are like oh it was chewy how old was it well it's a big 6.0 elk all right um you know if you're comparing it to a beef cow that thing was 18 months old right so <laughs> let's let's start with what kind of a bear do you want if you go after only big boars right i suggest you make sausage um <laughs> there's going to be some steaks on the back strap right but the rest of it, take it and cure it and make your hand. But pro- taste profile-wise, it comes down to just diet and age. Right? If you've got something that's feeding on mountain huckleberries and is two years old, it's going to be absolutely delicious. You can barbecue some Melbourne steaks and they're going to be great, right? If you got something that is missing teeth and is going blind and is raiding the cabin and is 19 years old and has been living off of a dumpster, it's going to taste a completely different way. Yep. So just just knowing what you've gotten yourself into with the animal gives you a guidance on what its profile should be. So this last bear that I got is sweet and is almost fat-free because um, it just came out of the den. And so for me, it's like, all right, so what I know I need to do is I need to not cover the meat up too much, and I need to, I know I need to add fat back to it. So how am I going to accomplish this? I also know it's a pretty young bear, so it's going to be tender, so I'm saving a couple of things out of it. I took the front shoulders and made them and smoked them in the hands, right? That I because that's something I know I could slice thin and it would be okay with. Now, if I had got a big old boar, you know, everything starts changing um, as you add age into the animal's uh, into the animal's equation, and that that's what affects profile as much as anything: age and diet. Agree, hundred percent. You know, the bear that I'm feeding off of right now, and I honestly have 
if my cousins or brother, anyone's listening to this down the line, like I have most of the meat, <laughs> I, I raided the freezer, uh, is, uh, you know, it was like a two or three year old bear, we estimate. And we had a bumper crop on apples where we hunt deer, where we shot it. And it just been like, we, we looked like, and it was going into den. So it was really fat. So the flavor profile on this bear that I've been feeding off is really unctuous. It's really tender. It's really juicy. It's sweet. Just like, just like Randy was saying, like, this is, you know, bears are, I don't want to make the analogy because it's ridiculous analogy, but like the bears are grazers ultimately, right? They're omnivores and, and they're going to eat anything they can. And if you get a bear that's been eating like we did, been eating apples and grass and whatever meat it can find, it's, it's going to be good. If you get a bear that's been eating diapers at the dump for three years, you're, <laughs> I don't eat that bear. Don't shoot that bear. Like, like, you know, I'm not, I'm partly being funny, but you know, I've seen heard yeah. like the amount of times I've seen on social media, we posted some stuff about, we've cooked a lot of bear dishes, especially since the pandemic hit, we've been just going through the freezer and people said, Oh God, bears are trash. I had a bear once and it tasted like garbage. And I had a bear once and it was so chewy and terrible. And like, it's the same thing that Randy was saying. Like, well, I can't speak for the circumstances of that bear, but how did you cook it? And what was it when you got it? Right? How if was you, it treated in the field? Like that, that's where it starts. Yeah. That's number yep. one. Thank you. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. Right. So, so, so it's, I get the comment. Oh, bear is greasy. I got an uncle swears. He hates bear because it's greasy. I'm like, so do you like choice meat at the grocery store? You buy choice beef, right? Well, yeah. Do you know why? You know, and you walk them through the, the you know, Here's what no roll is. Here's select. Here's choice. Here's the upper three percent is prime beef. All right now, if you shoot a bear that's really fatty, it's on the upper three percent of any of the beef that you're going to pay premium for. But you don't like it for some reason, even though bear fat has historically been one of the most sought after fats in the world. It just it's like a jackrabbit. It's just got a bad reputation because I think, um, especially in the West, it, it can be associated with poverty food. So jackrabbit. Um, is you can it, it's like carrot are, are you familiar with uh what is it protein protein poisoning yeah basically you can die with a belly full of meat right so, so the Inuit can do it if they did. what yeah, yeah rabbit starvation yeah. um caribou will do it to you too that's why a lot of times the Inuits will bunk their caribou and seal fat right it's so that you get that fat it'll actually help you digest stuff so so bears kind of get categorized in my opinion with the same same category as jackrabbits where they're just in idaho they didn't even require a tag until the early 80s right they were just a they were like a coyote. Um, Var- so a predator, it's a different. Varmint. Yeah, yeah. You just shot them on site. You didn't have to do anything in the state. You still don't have to harvest them. Wow. Oh wow. Right. Wow. I, and I, I've argued that one tooth and nail. Right. You have to bring the head out. And you have to bring the hide up, and they both have to be marked. But your meat does not have to come out in the state of Idaho. Oh. And I've I've been like, that's ridiculous. No, it's you can't. So that's never obviously never happened with me. I've brought every single scrap I can. Out, but at the same time, it's. They've got that reputation, and even the, even the game agency here lets that gaming reputation kind of kind of run. You talk, Justin, much. about how it's treated in the field. Like, you know, one of the things we found with a lot of people that I've talked to is also it's intimidating to to clean and skin and process a bear, right? It is. I would argue it's no more work than a deer, but you know, for some people, it, it seems like something daunting for them, and and the thought of 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 you know harvest eating a predator is another psychological thing that i'll think a lot of people balk at and even i do like i don't know if i would eat a coyote i really don't but but you know how is that coyote different from a bear other than the fact that it's strictly carnivorous and a bear is an omnivore right how are they 
arguably different in terms of being predators and what and what their role is in, in ecology. But I think there's you know there's there's a psycho there's a psychological hit I think with people and hunters not just people not just lay folk but but hunters with bears sometimes it says well it's a predator I'm not going to eat it or it's it's a big animal and it's intimidating and there's a lot of fat and there's a lot of like you know you said like it's greasy or whatever it happens to be. And I think if you can break that down and you can switch people on to bear either by serving it to them properly or, uh, or, or, you know, just trying to put that fear at ease. I think, I think that's a great thing. Cause yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly, and I'm not using hyperbole because we're on a, on a podcast about bears. It's my favorite wild game to eat. It legitimately mm-hmm. is. I love geese. Mm-hmm. I love ducks. I love it all. But if, if I got the choice between eating like a, a venison roast and a bear shoulder, I'm eating a bear shoulder, hundred percent. I'm every I'm, day. I'm curious to see at the point in history where it changed because um, you know bear used to be a, a a preferred a preferred food on the frontier and like throughout the West, like. And I I don't know at what point maybe it uh, the the depopulation of bears throughout the the West and Central states. Uh, sort of led to that. I mean, I grew up in Oklahoma, and our bear population was slim to none. And a, a, they brought over what they called like nuisance bears from Arkansas and let them loose in Oklahoma with collars. And it's like you were basically like, don't ever if you see it, don't shoot it, run. Even if it's attacking you, like you'd be in more <laughs> trouble if you shot this bear than if it killed you. And it's like, wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> but um. You know, and just recently, within the last couple of years, Oklahoma has opened up to to bear hunting, and I'm seeing a lot of a lot of other states as they repopulated black bears sort of follow suit. Uh, Florida, there's a big there's a big controversy about it. Um, was it back? I want to say three, four, five years ago that they're like, all right, the the bear population in Florida is getting a little a little heavy, so we're going to institute a bear season, and they launched. You know, they set up a drawing, drew tags, launched it, and halfway through the season, there was such a public outcry against bear hunting that they closed the season. We have a similar story in Ontario. Like, we had for years, for years, we had a spring bear hunt. And, uh, again, public outcry and lobbying and and and, and just and, – and I'm not going to say hunters were blameless – but we were mostly blameless, but there were instances that were documented of, you know, guys orphaning cubs that they didn't see in the bush and, and, and stuff like that. And that's tragic. And that shouldn't happen. I'm not advocating for that, but you know, that got steam and we lost our bear hunt for a number of years. It was outlawed. It was done. There was no spring bear hunt anymore. Uh, and lo and behold, we suddenly had a surge in nuisance bears in urban and suburban well i shouldn't say urban there was no bears in downtown toronto but since suburban <laughs> populations and in rural populations there were bears and people were like why are there why are there bears well we're not killing any of them really anymore yep. and i don't and that sounds crass and i'm not here to like i'm all about positive hunter representation but there is a cause and effect at play there and uh and the Ontario Federation Anglers and Hunters, of which I'm a member, and if you're in Ontario listening to this podcast, you should be a member. They do a lot, a lot of good work. Uh, they lobbied hard and they they fought tooth and nail with other organizations as well to get it back. And it's a huge economic driver for Northern Ontario, where where businesses are few and far between and populations are sparse. And it's back now. And uh, 
and it's and I'm glad it's back and it's good to be back because I think some of those human and bear interactions are gonna gonna improve and and again if anyone's hunt if more people that hunt bears the better. I mean, I. What about, sorry. Oh, sorry. What about the what about the BC grizzly? Yeah, uh, I'm not in that milieu, but I have a friend who's in that in that uh, involved in that. Uh, he's in BC. He's he works for a nature conservancy organization there, but he's an avid hunter and outdoorsman and, and angler. And that's another one that's you know I'm not going to be representative, hopefully, of all Canadian hunters, and I don't, I know you would never frame me as that, but but uh, that's a that's a purely political, in my personal opinion, get out and go hunting represented by me. <laughs> that's a purely political. Uh, motivation that that bear that bear season is canceled like that is purely on um i think well-meaning because i don't think they're monsters but i think it's well-meaning individuals who don't understand the conservation principle behind hunting grizzly bears that's that's the that's my personal and public take on that uh, is it something similar a few years ago when i think i might have some of the details maybe a little bit off but um Wyoming reintroduced a grizzly bear season and there was a lot of outcry about that that I remember reading about because bears hadn't been hunted for a long time and you know they were uh, a spectacle of nature they're cute cuddly animals and uh, it was just some some change that had been happening to allow for a bear season kind of like what you're talking about up in Ontario uh, and then Justin you down in Florida too uh, it's, it's the same thing it's I mean it's just it's a it's a new premise to talk about but you know people don't really like that change so so that one was um grizzly bears was grizzlies right wyoming yeah um montana and idaho and that was all directly related to the yellowstone greater yellowstone ecosystem Uh uh-huh gye and so they actually issued a set number of tags for specific locations in there and, and believe it or not um I know the one guy that drew the one Idaho grizzly bear tag. So <laughs> Idaho has a small section of uh, of park, basically, where the grizzly bears have vastly surpassed their initial recovery goals. And now the grizzly bears are spreading outside of the park. And just like any large predator or any large game animal they need managed right because there are fences there are cattle there are roads there are yep. cities there are people right so we have to manage this thing we can't just assume that they're going to be natural wherever because that's not the system we have set up we have all these things that make it not natural so we have to manage them and so the quota that was given to idaho was like 1.25 bear tags we're like great we get one uh <laughs> we did a lottery some drew it and then it was immediately shut down before the hunt started so it's 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 shaped a lot of people in a lot of ways. So if you know Randy Newberg, um, from like Fresh Tracks and on your own, yep. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he was kind of on one of the initial recovery platforms for that. He's got some great stuff out there about the thing. It's constantly have they met their objectives? You know, are they not fully recovered? Where are they fully recovering everywhere? Because they can't possibly be recovered everywhere before you start managing. All right. So if you're just not going to manage them, you're going to get a lot of nuisance bears. You're going to get a lot of things where it's, um, where you're having game and fish agencies shoot them in lieu of hunters. So you're costing money instead of making. That definition of recovery happens 
a lot. You know, it happened in Ontario when they were talking about bringing the bear hunt back. It, you know, that moving of the goalposts is 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 you know problematic. Ultimately, you know, we were lucky in Ontario, and it, we have we have a, a spring bear hunt back now. And and uh, but yeah, it, a lot of those same patterns repeated themselves here. You rarely get anything back once it's gone. It's almost always. We got very lucky. You're never gaining a new hunting area. You're never gaining a new season. It seems like. I um, I think it's important, and and Randy, you brought up a good point there of sort of like, um, managing the populations. Like anytime you get a large mammal, because now as humans, we've created you know this world for it's convenient for us to live in, but it's not always convenient for the animals to live in. So. I would stand by this to say that once you start managing a population, whether it's a population that's in decline and you want to rise or it's a population that's rising and you need to manage it, at whatever point you start managing that population, you can't stop because it's not like the human interaction is going to go away. I mean, the population of the world's growing, you know, amid a pandemic that we live in now, and it's not going to slow interaction both positive or negative with with a a species that we've we've either brought back from near extinction or that's that's overpopulated this episode is brought to you by reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate however it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Absolutely. They're getting fun. The Continental Divide runs basically the east side of Idaho is the Continental Divide, for lack of better ways to put it. So you got that whole wavy thing that goes up into Canada. And right on that line, we're getting... Um, grizzlies that are starting to veer off into some interesting spots now where they've not historically been grizzlies. So there's a place that is, as a crow flies, 100 miles from Montana and equally distant between Glacier National Park, one known grizzly bear population, and Yellowstone. And they're seeing grizzly tracks there now. And it's like, oh, they're they're all over they're not just they're they're just migrating wherever that wherever a young boar wants to go they just go yeah. right they don't get you know they don't care about a fence and if, you know they could eat a llama on the way there they will right um but no it's a it's a hell of a thing to just try to to try to participate in that that recovery system same with wolves wolves are very contentious right now we have it so wolves can be in idaho there's just a new rule where you can hunt them all year round in some terms um, there's certain areas in Idaho too. We're, we're trying to protect the elk populations by issuing multiple black bear tags. Like you can go shoot two black bears in one unit over the counter, just because we're trying to help elk with the wolves and with the, with all the other creation and stuff like that. So it's an interesting, like, what I want to know. It's like who wants to be two things. The jobs are the person that's at the lost bag counter right for the airline who wants that job and who wants to be a fish and game biologist because neither of you are ever doing anything right yep you know what i'm saying yeah. like i just I, I would just hate either one of those jobs fair it's yeah uh, it's got to be a challenge especially things 
there's more unknowns than known, uh, and people can see. Which is shocking. Yeah. <laughs> um, wait, you mean? You know, we can split the atom, but we have no idea what the grazing habitats of a you know a, a black bear. Priorities. Uh, it's, it's all about priorities, guys. <laughs> Those damn we, fusion we, bombs. We need <laughs> right? Think about what we can do and what we don't know. Exactly. And sometimes you're just like, I think it's a little unequal. We need seven flavors of Doritos. We do. Science. But <laughs> I mean, don't knock Cool Ranch. Cool Ranch is pretty amazing. That's classic. No, that's not one of the new seven. Come on. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't know we were going into the new new age there. This took a left turn, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure I could tell you any of the flavors besides the original of Doritos, but um, I am curious to talk about of your experience knowing people who eat grizzly bear because I know there's a big debate about it. Um, for instance, I uh, just recently read an article by Remy Warren who swears up and down that grizzly bears amazing and has been eating it for years which is fine that's good uh i don't know confidently enough to say one way or the other if it's tastes different or if it doesn't so we don't have them but anecdotally you know same thing i I read articles i read you know renella and remy warren and other people say yeah i'll eat it and it's good it's a bear and it's the same thing randy said earlier like i'm sure if you get a bear that's been living in low country eating grazing on grass and berries and getting meat it probably tastes like anything that would that eats that if you get one that's just been eating like rotten salmon for 12 weeks <laughs> probably a different flavor profile mm-hmm. but i don't see why you wouldn't it's it's you know a bear's a bear just like just like a a white-tailed deer in ontario tastes the same as a smaller subspecies of white-tailed deer in florida i'm sure barring some nuance that's my opinion but mm-hmm. i I know one person that's grizzly bear just because he's in the Coast Guard up in um, on Kodiak Island, and he's got several of his bears up there. And so he he tends to eat you know some of them and give a bunch of it away. Um, and he said it's it's just like to, to your point, it's just like most most anything else. I've never um, being as we've had one tag that uh, <laughs> has been issued since I've been alive in the state of Idaho, never had an Idaho grizzly bear. Um, or at least nothing I'm going to admit to over a podcast, but honestly, I've never had it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, it's just like we had a, we have a new roadkill law, and it's like, did you ever have roadkill before the law? You want me to answer that question? Plead <laughs> um, the fifth. Right. No. So, so I know I only know one person that's ever had it, like personally. Of course, you know, I too I read the trades and you know, hear the other podcasts and stuff like that. So, so I, I have no qualms about it. The thing that would strike me is I've, I've encountered a number of them over the years um, with my time in Alaska. Is their size? It's just, I, I've ran into four bears on Kodiak now. And to just see, it makes an elk look small. You know, and I don't know if it's just all fur, but what are you going to, I mean, that's just so much, right? Anyway, and it's so much, and especially if it's bad at that point. They're talking about if it's because uh, you know I ran into them all on salmon strings, so I know exactly what they're eating. And so to get that much of something that tastes like meat fish just doesn't really strike my fancy. So it's I've never even had the urge to go hunt one just for that reason. 
right? And I, that's it's kind of strange in that way is that I, I, I try to put in for tags and things that I want to, I, I know I'll want to eat when it's all said and done. And so it's like, I, I don't put in for those those grizzly tags because I, or those brown bear tags because I just don't want to eat a, a happen to get that one that tastes like fish. It just doesn't strike me. So. There. Yeah, I mean, there's pedigree and all that. Like, you know, you talk about what you hunt, want to hunt and why you want to hunt it. And I think that's a really important point. You know, this, uh, I took a, it's funny. I don't know if you guys get this, but, you know, I'm one of the few people in my greater circle of friends that hunts and I'm the hunting guy. And, and you might all recall on, I don't know what it was in the States, but up here in Canada Discovery Channel, there was a show about grizzly bear hunting. And, and I took a lot of flack in my workplace, my circle of friends, like who, why would you shoot a bear there? Why would you shoot a grizzly bear? I hear they're terrible and all these anecdotes and, and things like that. And, and there's a pedigree in that, you know, I, I personally don't have any desire to shoot a grizzly bear, eat it or not. Right. It's, it's, it's something that I think is, is fair. Uh, but I think what we, I don't think we can all agree on, but I think we all have, again, a similar philosophy. Like if I was going to shoot it, I'd eat it. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't see why not. And again, like, to, to Randy's point, that plays into why you would shoot it. Cause yeah, if it's good, yeah. if it's going to taste like salmon, that's been eaten on feeding on for months, like, you know, I know guys that won't shoot a merganser cause it's a fish duck. So would you shoot a fish? Mm-hmm. Would you shoot a fish bear? That's, that's, that's the question, I guess. Like if, if I had, I, yeah, if I had the tag and the opportunity presented itself, yeah, yeah there you go. that's fair. And that's yeah, fair. Yeah. You know, that's, that, that's, and if it wasn't 12 to $20,000 to do as well. Oh yeah. Part of, the, part of the thing for, for those bears up there is, is the, it, I get why the guide association passed the laws to not let you hunt sheep, goats, and grizzlies in Alaska. Um, but at the same time, being enough of a DIY kind of guy, it's like I could figure that out. You know, I feel confident that I could go find a bear, um, you know, on the tundra and get it out. But I get why they're like, no, people are falling off cliffs. We need you need yeah, a guide um, to, to come do it. So, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of wishy-washy on on how I feel about that. Um, but, yeah, the only time I've ever wanted to shoot a grizzly is when it stood up and looked at me at about 70 yards. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Fair. <laughs> I was walking across the salmon stream and stood up, and I'm like, "Oh, there goes my bells." Yeah, and um, <laughs> I don't think this deer gun I have on Kodiak Island is going to be quite enough. Oh, I got I'll, so, not that I'm going to do you one better, but I'm going to try to do you one better. Like I said, we were I would do it. We were in we were in the uh, Kootenai Mountains, my friend and I. Uh, if you're listening, Chris Bosman, thank you for taking me. Uh, I know he follows you guys. He, uh, him and I were hunting turkeys and it was springtime, you know, it's, it's bears and cubs and it's out of the den. And like I said, we crossed a, we crossed a mud flat and, uh, on the way into the flat, our tracks were the only flat tracks in that flat and coming out, there was grizzly bear tracks in ours. And the next sit that afternoon, I was just thinking about having a Remington 870 full of three inch number six shot. And now this is, this is, that, that's gotta be in a bear's mouth before it's effective. And even then I'm not probably of any state of mind. Like that was the most uncomfortable turkey hunting sit I have ever had. And I've been, I've had ticks on me. I've had mosquitoes like eat my face. I've never felt worse than that three hour sit. Just thinking about every snap was a grizzly bear. Every twig was a grizzly bear. So yeah, to your point, Randy, like it's not on my list to do, but I was definitely thinking about having to have to shoot one if, 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 if worse came to worse and I did not like my odds. To, to, to point the track thing, coming down the beach in Kodiak, I was, uh, I cut a track, I'd ran into two grizzlies on this salmon stream 
and then I, would, I was like, to heck with this. I, I cut through some woods onto the beach. And as I am walking down the beach, I see one set of tracks that looks like a full-size grizzly. And then I'm looking at these other tracks that are like meandering around. And it's a bunch of little tracks inside the one set of tracks. And I'm 15 minutes behind this one. She was taking that cub to go fishing. Right. And I just, just because I had cut through this little section, I mean, that same exact feeling. And I was just like, okay, so two things I know today, stay away from that Creek, go higher to find the deer. Check. Yep. I'm going to do both of those things tomorrow. <laughs> and I got a buck. So it was, yeah. it worked out. They're, they're a cool animal, man, but they're, I don't need one close to me. I don't mm-hmm. personally. That's, that's just yeah. me. We were, in, uh, we were up on Kodiak again this past, I took my, one of my son, my brother and my dad. And uh, we got this, Borrowed some ATVs from a friend, went over to this into this little pass, and I woke up to the sound of uh, sounded like a dog playing in the water. And so I put my boots on, grabbed my gun, and walked down to the creek. And it was two Kodiaks fishing for um, reds, 150 yards from camp. So I ran back to camp, woke everybody up. We got our phones out and stuff like that. We got videos of these bears literally just like splashing. Um, those scenes that you see on that geo were happening 100 yards from our camp. Oh, it, was oh, way, wow. it was great. Yeah. That's that what, really that, cool. that's why you hunt, man. That that is why. Yeah, well, but but, the, but the, those ones, it took me a while to realize they don't care about you, right? So if they're next, if there's on a salmon stream and salmon are running, they they the last thing they want to do is be near you, right? <laughs> and it, it's just one of those things where they just want to eat fish, man. So if you can manage to do that. Here at Harvest in Nature, we are known to cook a variety of wild fish and game in a variety of ways. Probably one of my favorite methods is to cook in a smoker. Traeger Grills has some of the best products out there. Their pellet grills aren't just grills. They're smokers and ovens too. Anything you can do in the oven in your house, you can do on the Traeger. You can make desserts. You can grill steaks. You can use cast iron pans and braise tough cuts. You can allow roasts and briskets to smoke all day until they're tender and delicious. You can even use it to make jerky. Their variety of pellets are also very impressive. The different flavors of wood allow you to pair with your meat or fish or vegetables and give it the most flavor that you can create. They even have varieties created specifically for your next wild fish or game meal. So, to get... uh over to talking about cooking bear. Now we've talked a little bit about grizzly bear and sort of on the fence, off the fence, opportunistic. I don't know um, what we can classify it as, is if we would eat them or not. But um, I guess, so one thing I want to point out that's really, I think important to somebody say they were listening to this podcast. They're like, you know what? I've never hunted bear before. I'm going to go hunt bear. They get a bear. I've never cooked bear before. Um, you know, not that much research. I would hope that most people are gonna find a way to do a little more research, and I I have faith in society that they would. But if you're going to take a piece of bear meat and just throw it in a skillet and eat it, there's some very important things that you need to think about and learn before you do so. And uh, one thing I want to point out that probably the majority of cases in modern times of trichinosis have come from the consumption of bear meat. It's the magic T word. Yeah. That, that's what you got to be worried about. And that's what scares <laughs> it. That's what scares everybody. Everyone I've talked to, you know, they've, yeah, they, exactly. They, <laughs> they, you know, 
I'm going to not date myself. I think we're all probably roughly the same generation, but like my dad, my uncles, my hunting mentors, like they're of the generation when domestic pork was a trichinosis risk. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's been a tough sell on them, you know, to, to get them to buy in on medium cooked pork, let alone, you know, I, I made, I made a bear sandwich and we might talk about it later. Like I made a bear steak sandwich and it was like medium rare and, and media, it was medium more or less i would say medium rare it was medium and uh and my old man was like you're gonna you're gonna die like my dad was like that's <laughs> you're gonna get like i showed him a picture he said you're gonna get really sick it was two and a half months ago i'm fine like uh, uh so what what steps did you take to make sure because uh, that's that's exactly where i was kind of going with this was like that was adorable Colin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah uh no what so yeah steps to steps to make it uh, safe I used it sous vide. I used a sous vide, and mm. uh, you know, I went to the, I went with the master. I don't know, like he's kind of like the guru of all things wild game. Like I went straight to the Google machine and found what Hank Shaw, the man, had to say. <laughs> I don't know if he listens to this, Hank. We love you. Uh, <laughs> no, but anyways, like the you know, I wrote this in a in a blog post about this sandwich right on Get Out Hunting, which was like. Trust the process and trust science when it comes to food safety. And trichinosis gets killed at like between 130 and 140, 135, 140 degrees, I think, was what I read in multiple places. And and also time is a factor. The longer you can hold temperature, the the not the more it will die. It will just die. But the more sure the more sure you can be that <laughs> the more dead that, it is. The more dead it is. The more <laughs> sure you can be. Kill Basically, what again. I did, you know. And again, we're not we're not experts. Like, there's a professional chef on this on this podcast, and we're not that. We just love to cook. But you know, we did the research. We have a sous vide. We sealed it up. We held it at 145 to be safe for two hours, which was well in excess by like 10 degrees the temperature and by like 90 minutes or an hour the time and it came out blushing pink in the middle we give it a hard sear on the grill and it was honestly the most tender delicious it's off this sweet bear the young bear we got and like i said that was three months ago almost and i got no parasites in my muscles my family my kids tried it like you know it's if you if you trust science and you trust the process you know for food safety you can't go wrong and if you don't trust science and you don't trust the process and you might get sick. Like food safety is, is, is just, it's just biology in our opinion, but that's what we did. Right. Like, you know, and that's the one, like all my friends, like that's too rare. And my, like I said, my dad's like, that's too rare. And you know, so it was fine. Just, just medium, no panic guys. Mm-hmm. Be cool. <laughs> I think probably the key to that is the, like you said, the, the, I don't know. Even to me, that temperature seems a little low, but um, it's cool. I think the amount of time probably. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, no, no, no. It's just uh, I don't have a lot a, of experience uh, cooking bear. There's there's like an instant kill temperature, right? And there's like a I'm not a cook by any means. Sustained, like a sustained kill. Right. There's like a an hour at this temperature will kill it, but then there's also like an instant kill. So I think like was it like I think it's like 165 or something. That's what I read about. I think 165 line. will kill anything. Like I think if you right. cook to 165, yeah. like I, so, I, I defer to Randy on that because he's the professional. But like I think that's yeah, that'll kill anything. So it's it's 137 is trichinosis spirella. Um, 
for for killing it, but then it's every single fiber has to get to 137. So that's the problem and the benefit of sous vide, right? So your 137 is you know solid medium, right? Medium. I would consider it almost medium well, like a, yeah. on a pork or on a beef, right? Um, so so to get there, you usually have that band that's not there, right? So that's why, to your point, if you get everything above that, and that's what the two hours is for, that's why, um, then then you should be fine. But but trying to sear something and cook it to 140, yeah. right, at, at whatever random spot that you throw your probe into, um, or what you know what I'm saying? If you hit it in a, hit it in a slightly thinner spot, and there's meat that didn't get to that temperature, that's when you start running the risk, and that's why a lot of people just say to hell with it, go to well done. Yep. Right. Um, and that 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 is the 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 good and the bad with there. Right. Is that it's you're supposed to go to well done just simply because it's it's uh, of that trichinosis fear. But if you do the process and the science, you can get there. So. Um, but same with sausages. I think sausages are probably my go-to because I usually want them well done almost anyway, right? You don't want a medium rare sausage. That's just kind of gross. Same with burgers. Um, so, again, yeah, and, and I would argue, Randy, same with burgers, right? Like if you're doing yeah. ground bear, if you're doing ground bear, no one wants their burger, especially if they've cut it with anything else. Like you don't want that. Mm-hmm. Like you, that's going to be well done, and, and that's fair. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we we had a bunch of ground, and we didn't do burgers because it was Canada and it was March, and I couldn't grill because it was snowing. Uh, but we, we did like a, I did like a Thai kind of hot pot stir fry with the ground bear and put it over noodles Mm. and and you just keep that, like you said, that, that when it's, you can go as hot as you want then with the ground. Right. And, and, Mm -hmm. and and you're fine. Nothing's pink. Everything's brown. Everything's delicious in that respect because you're browning it in oil. And then, yeah, that I I don't want to minimize, I don't want to sound like reckless. Like I don't want to minimize the risk when I say like, Hey, I just went to this temperature and did the science and everything, but I would, so many people get turned off by wild game. Another one, not to make, not to take a hard left again, but like, I'm a goose advocate. I got a goose tattoo on my arm, the size of my arm. Like I love Canada goose. And everyone says Canada goose is a trash bird. Just like I hear constantly bear is a trash meat. And if you cook Canada goose correctly, if you treat it well, it's amazing. And bear is the same way. So many people are scared off of hunting bears or eating bears or processing bears because they're afraid to get sick. But if you follow the guidelines and you, you do some research and do some homework, it's, it's, it's immensely worth it. Like I said, it's my, it's my favorite meat to eat. So what I'll do to you, so you, you're doing the, the, the sous vide and the ground. I do a lot of ground and a lot of sausage and then I corn it or I make ham out of it. Yeah. Um, and corning, is my go-to for anything that I am slightly nervous about. So uh, my kids called me the other day and they're like, hey, Dad, there's this little spike on the side of the road. Do you want me to skin it and bring it home? And I'm just like, you know what? If you're calling me and asking me that question, I want you to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're just like, you know what? Me and my brother didn't want to skin this deer on the side of the road. You know, they're 14 and 17. I was like, yep, yep, uh-huh bring it so we took that meat we corned it all right yeah. because i don't know where it's been i you know it smelled fine all that sort of stuff but there's the same way in our if you don't want to deal with sous vide and something you want to have something that's that's going to taste good basically no matter what you can do it with canadian geese you can do it with turkey leg you can do it with bear is corn stuff and that that adds that whole next level of, of flavor and preparation it's a preservation method it's 
it's it's just a great way to take things that other people might consider marginal and make them great. So that's how I started convincing my father that was a sworn Canadian hater, um, didn't like bear, right? And I started converting him slowly and just trusting me and the, to the process to your point of making stuff delicious. And now he'll try, you know, goose in other fashions, which I've kind of convinced him that no, it wasn't the goose's fault. You just had poor cooks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Right? Thank you. Um, the, amount of, the amount of gray, well, the amount of gray goose is one thing, but the amount of gray geese that I've eaten <laughs> in my life that have just been cooked so well done and they're just livery and shoe leather and the same with bear and the same with venison too. If you, any wild game, if you improperly do it, and I'm not holding us any to any kind of standard that can't be done. This is easy stuff. Like I have a history degree. It's the easiest thing in the world to get. Like if you can do that, you can cook. Um, just if you, if you treat it, if you treat it in that way that, that it gets done properly, it's, it's, there's, it, there's no reason you can't eat it. It's not the Canada bad. It's someone prepared it badly for you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not the bear that's bad. It's overcooked. And that's the sin. That's the sin of wild game. It's my biggest well, pet peeve. So can somebody explain to me though why everybody loves white-tailed deer and why everybody loves elk? Because you never hear anybody crap on those two. Yep. You hear people crap on mule deer, you hear them crap on antelope, bears, geese, right? Turkeys are too tough, but they're never crapping on whitetail and they're never crapping on elk. And they're cooking and it I'm wrong. Like, they're cooking it wrong so often. So often. Even, I even those two, they're cooking wrong, right? <laughs> they're cooking, I mean, if they're cooking mule deer wrong, they're cooking whitetail wrong. Exactly. That's my right? point. <laughs> I don't know, man. So I, I don't know. But you never hear them crapping on those two. Uh, I wonder what they, I, mean, I don't know. I, I grew up in like the heart of whitetail country, and it's like if I still so back seven, eight years ago, I went to visit my aunt and uncle uh, from the west coast and hunted whitetail deer, and I processed my deer in my uncle's shop, made ground meat and made hamburgers for him for deer burgers and then took the ribs off and put them on the smoker and it was the first time that he had had either ground deer or ribs off a deer and he's been hunting at that time probably for over 40 years and this is whitetail yeah that's crazy i'm I'm having a hard time i get the ribs the ribs are something but he never ground the deer up and got any back no, like I don't no burger. Every, everything went to um, you, your back strap. You get maybe a few steaks and then snack sticks. Snack sticks Actually, rule king yeah. in Oklahoma. Snack oh, sticks hi, are good. Hi, hi. Snack sticks are delicious. <laughs> I don't want to want to generalize the entire state, but in my younger years, <laughs> no, snack stick and jerky is what you did with your deer. So. No, I got no, right. I got nothing wrong with snack sticks. I got pepperettes, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. Yeah, no, that's fair. You know, we we have uh, talk about that. Like, we uh, don't even take the tenderloins out. The way we've always been, like, I grew up with a family that butchered it in loin chops, like pork, like like pork chops. We never took the the loin or the back strap out, like you see it very traditionally done. They just took the whole deer intact, split down the middle like a cattle beast, and they would just do chops. I have like huh. for years, for years, that was my experience. I didn't think that, like, oh, you can take the tenderloin out till I was like 17. <laughs> I think that's good. That's becoming more popular. I think now it's a, a resurgence of it. Bone in. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I did that for the first time in years since I started to buy commercial deer for the restaurants, right? We buy them whole. Yeah. So people are like, how can you break down a deer so fast? It's like, dude, I get one every two weeks at my restaurant for years. And we just break them apart, right? Um, but no, I did my first bone-in, like, uh, crown rack the other yeah. day off of, uh, off of the Junivist last fall. And my, my dad was like, you can leave the rib zone? <laughs> uh, I think part enough, of- so they're just different worlds, man. Just different worlds yeah, entirely. I, right? and, and I think part of it for our group for years was like, you know, we're not in, we're not in a deer rich area per se where we hunt deer, right? It's thick. There's not a lot of deer. Uh, it's not managed. We're not doing a lot of QDMA stuff. And I don't say that in the sense to demean that. We're just, we're just, we're just in the camp and we're hunting. And if we see, if we shoot two deer for a week for nine guys, that's like an amazing year. So I think part of that, I think part of that breakdown of loin chops and, and we did get ground and we got snack sticks was also to make it go around, right? To make, to make guys go, okay, well, I got three steaks out of these two deer. And, and, and that was, I think, another reason for years. Like, I remember the first time I saw in like a hunting show on like we have it up here because it's called wild TV. I know it's like sportsman's channel and stuff in the States, but like, so I take a, a whole tenderloin out of a white tail. I was like, you, you can do that. That's, wow. That's, that's amazing. It changes everything. <laughs> well, what gets me is even as a kid, you never really packed stuff out whole. Right. And so you see people uh, that are like trying to get whole animals in the back of their trucks. And you're like, man, you know, those things like, come apart right <laughs> like you can like take off the legs put those in your back and leave most of the i like yeah i don't know so i was talking with this guy the other day and he's like no we we, we installed a, rent, a wrench on the back of my dad's truck with 500 yards of rope and that's how they get the whole animals to the butcher and i was like you know my eyes got real wide and i was like man it's called a sharp knife like <laughs> come with me yeah <laughs> We should learn some things about <laughs> how to get an elk off a mountain. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be 500 yards of rope. That's insane. So, yeah, that's a I long way. I can't even right. picture, like, the logistics but, of getting that. I mean, they're also pretty much limiting themselves to 500 yards, so. They road hunting. So the deal is they road okay, hunting. So yeah. there's lots of Forest Service roads, and they just drive these roads back and forth until they see something, and they hope it's above the road. Um, because if it's below the road, they get the grandpa gets mad at you because then you have to bring it up, right? Yeah, uphill, yeah. Um, and that's what the 500 yards of rope is for. Uh, this so, is great. This is a whole it's, new uh, perspective. I love this. this you'll, you, <laughs> yeah, you get a little banjo in the North Idaho area, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, <laughs> you get a lot of land and not many people, it's going to get a bit rough, um, which is awesome. I love it. So don't, don't think that I'm talking smack about it. It's a different culture and it's what I grew up with, but it's, uh, we still would cut animals apart and um, pack them out. We had, we, um, I never understood it at the time. And I still don't. Why we wouldn't. So we, we would have pack frames. We'd actually leave at the truck and we'd hunt in day packs. And if we got something and now it's like, why didn't we ever just hunt with everything from our day pack in the pack frame? So we didn't have to make that, you know, like Walk extra back, leg yeah, of yeah. things and, and my dad's like, I don't know, man. You're asking me all these wrong questions. <laughs> Things change. It was the 80s. Give me a break. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. He's like, we were also in blue jeans, Randy. Just shut up. Um, yeah. like, now things are changed. Now, you know, my, my day pack has a has an aluminum frame just because I want to go. That old line go in, light come out heavy, right? 
Yeah, that's that's the goal. Well, let's uh, let's step into the kitchen world a little bit because uh, I know several of us have uh, some good bear recipes we want to talk about. I wanted to talk some about cookbooks, but I, I think we're going to run out of time, which is okay because we can do it another time. Um, but we can talk about bear recipes, which I think is almost equally as important as cookbooks uh, given our conversation this long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll lead – I'll go ahead and lead – off and uh so i'm gonna link all the recipes we talked to so if you guys send me your links and i'll uh i'll link them in the show notes uh everybody that listens regularly knows we always uh link link everything there so um my first one is is a older harvest in nature recipe that i did uh it's a black bear burger and uh, a good buddy uh, Jason McFarland, who uh, we're, we're actually working to get on the podcast. We'll see if he makes it or not. Uh, he lives up in Alaska, brought me some uh, some delicious black bear. was feeding off. It was actually feeding off blueberries whenever he shot it. Uh, so that inspired me to make a nice blueberry barbecue sauce. And that's kind of a, the iconic burger you see if you, you hop over the Facebook page or anywhere else. You'll see those. Uh, you'll see that photo there. Uh, but it's really great recipe, good sauce, and the, you know the burger. I love burgers because you don't have to get overly crazy with the meat. Like you, you can keep uh, the meat seasoned fairly even and uh, not go crazy with it, or you can go crazy with it. But then uh, throw in a nice sauce on top of it, like a, a blueberry barbecue sauce, for instance, uh, and just letting some fresh blueberries simmer with all your spices and everything you got in there, and then topping that burger. It's always pretty delicious. That recipe, Justin, is honestly like I think I had just joined with the with the writing group with Harvesting Nature, and I think that was one of the first recipes either after I joined or just before that switched me on. And I don't have to flatter you guys because I'm here either way. Like when I think of Harvesting Nature, every time that's that burger recipe is the first thing that comes to mind. Thanks, man. Uh, I I don't know. It was just something fun and simple uh, that came up at the time, and and. I mean, like I said, despite some of my family's not eating a lot of ground burger or ground game meat, uh, I'm a big fan of it, and burgers are always kind of a go-to for me, so it just seemed really natural to flow in that direction, and it's something, you know, in the in the early years, I can honestly say we were trying to grab people's attention uh, with with quality recipes, but also, like, something that, that's approachable, Um because I think there's people have grown more comfortable with more complex or more interesting recipes as time going on. And if you shift back to maybe five, 10 years ago, you don't have people, people may not have been as comfortable. I think the whole like wild game cooking phenomenon has really taken off, but I think in its infancy was, was within those early years. So it's just my thought process. So I've got um, on chefrandyking.com. Multiple bear recipes. Sorry for the self-plugging there. <laughs> um, but uh, so the ones that I I have, I've got a I've got a rib recipe up. I've got a bear soup recipe up, uh, and then I have uh, bear ham. Probably the one I like. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about two real quick, and both of them briefly. So one is a soup um, where it's basically a curry. So you it's a backcountry soup is what I want. So it, it involves um, 
basically instead of eating mountain house when you go out and if you're doing backcountry stuff if you're backpacking in there's ways to do this where you're still eating kind of what nature provides but you're doing it in either a dehydrated way or you're doing it in a in a way that makes it so that it's it's better for you i got a great interview with um, heather's choice the uh she makes kind of more nutritious high-end backcountry meals um and we talked a little bit about that and i, I used um, that one and then the other one that i have is pemmican it doesn't actually list bear specifically but if you're not familiar with what pemmican is it's, it's dried meat that's mixed with fat and something sweet like a like a berry or like you're doing blueberries this is a, this works with huckleberries and what it was it was a super high calorie trail food that the natives would use and they'd make bars or loaves or discs or whatever out of it and now it's a trail food so what i got into for a while was making my own trail food so i would take um the recipe uses coconut oil but i've done it with bear fat and it's absolutely delicious so if you get a fat fall bear render that fat down keep it and take this it's basically it's shredded dried jerky for lack of better ways to put it that you you process and then it's some sort of fat some sort of sweetener so there's a ratio that i list on my website but basically if you want your own super high energy pemmican bars um do you want to do the recipe there and it's like um it's so much calories in a single thing and it'll keep you going and it'll rebuild muscle it's just a really cool way to, and it kind of celebrates a lot of the indigenous thought process around bears and what they would do with them as well because what bear fat was as valued to them as anything else so those are my two I got a question for you, Andy, about the pemmican piece. I've read a lot sure. about I've read a lot about using ground meat versus chopped meat in pemmican. You know, what, sure. do you have an opinion on that? I yes, I have an opinion. I don't know if it's the right opinion. <laughs> um, so, my my opinion is I don't like using ground meat because I don't think it's got the right texture in my head. Um, so what I'll do is I'll make like um almost like south african bit tongue or like just dry dry jerky mm -hmm. like if you ever smoke some jerky it's the perfect stuff for it you want like zero moisture in it and then i'll take like a, a roboku or a food processor um and pulse it until it's until it's like uh do you remember there used to be like a fake dip that you could use yeah. and it was jerky but it was like dip right yeah um i want that is what i want my texture of my meat to be before i add my fat and my Huckleberries or my fruits or my whatever I'm putting into it, and, and I don't think you can get that with ground, or you don't get that as easily with ground. Cool. I I made an attempt at pemmican uh, back a couple of years ago, and I did use ground, and I took the ground and I dried it. Sort of, you know how you use a jerky gun, and you you pump the ground through it and made like oh, little yeah, yeah. Steps. So I did that and then put that in the dehydrator, and then once it was dehydrated down broke it up in the food processor sort of same way and i i think i can support your your thought of of the textures just not there it, it didn't it, it didn't end up right and i don't know if i over processed it uh in the food processor but it's it was a lot of grit uh in comparison to sort of like um i don't know it, it just wasn't good to me so <laughs> and and my brother tried my pemmican recipe and absolutely it was appalled by it. just the <laughs> idea of that much i mean because literally it is not like you stick it in your mouth and you're like oh i'm chewing on lard for a second oh there we go okay there now it's sweet right and then oh okay now there's some salty jerky in there okay i get what's going on like the first few bites he was he was flat out appalled by the idea 
of what I had made. So I, I have at it, and, um, but I was trying to replicate as best I could some of the um, some of the nice Bruce Willis that they did. I, I think it's important to point out. Um, I've done a lot of research, so been working for a while on a, a lot of native food projects, and oh, a lot of traditional dishes were more functional than flavorful. <laughs> the yeah. the, I mean, you think things that we we eat regularly and spice our food with regularly were were non-existent in pre-Columbian North America. So, uh, and you were eating to survive, not necessarily eating as an enjoyment piece. So, I think pemmican is absolutely one of those things that it was like every aspect of the ingredients served a specific purpose of survival in there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, I think it's a valuable tool. It's the traditional cliff bar, I would say. Yeah, and you can make them good. Like it, I, I like mine. Yeah, the sweetness because I use I use like a huckleberry straight up huckleberry jam, right? Mm. Um, as the sweetening provider. Um, and that I mean that you know huckleberry jam and jerky, and you know, I mean that together sounds weird, but it's it's quite good. I, I mean, so. I think it sounds good. They have what those uh, epic bars. Have you guys had those? Yeah. 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 Those are different. Uh, a funny story about that. We had a guy on, on the ship I was on. He ordered like the the monthly supply and then we would deploy for like two or three months at a time and then they would come back. We'd all come back home and he'd have like three boxes of them and they'd be like hundreds of bars. So he'd just bring them to the boat and leave them in our shop and we'd all try to go through them. And so we'd spend the next three months trying to eat all of them. And by the end of it, and you're like, I can't do chicken and sriracha epic bars anymore. <laughs> I just can't. And then they would get expired. They would dry out. But we're still trying to make it through this supply. And it's just like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, not a, that's, that's great. So, Sean, you got some uh, some bear recipes for us? I know we talked about your, your sandwich. I'm excited to hear it yeah. in detail. So yeah, I mean the sandwich. The sandwich was kind of a, a thing that uh, the other gentleman that I shouldn't call him a gentleman. He's 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 not a gentleman uh, that, that that runs that runs uh, get out go hunting with me. You know he's he's much more uh, visual than I am. You know he's the guy that takes the pretty pictures and he's the guy that does the design. Uh, and uh, he he's he's uh, very active in social media. And he found, you know, this southern southern burger joint. I can't remember where it is in the states. And he's like, we should do a wrap on their steak sandwich. They do this steak sandwich that's just like really, it's it's hashtag food porn, right? It's this over the top, very uh, don't be offended, very American style steak sandwich. He's like, we should do something. He said, he's like, we he's like we should do something like that uh, with venison or with bear or with Canada goose. I said, well, I got these bear lines, so. I set my my mind on doing this with with these bear lines, and uh, I made two of these sandwiches, and I had about three pounds of bear line. But yes, we sous vide it for two hours uh, at 145, so we were above the kill zone. We were long on the time. It was it was like I said, just blushing pink. It wasn't sort of medium rare. It was right in that medium sweet spot for us. Uh, and then we just took some processed cheese and and some hot sauce that we love from a Aussie hot sauce company that we. We, were, we discovered about a year and a half ago and some homemade pickles and just put that whole thing together. And uh, it was, it was mind blowing. I mean, the flavor is one thing. I love the flavor profile of bear. Like I said, this one, this one we're eating off of right now is just, 
it's so tender it's so sweet it's it's young it had a lot of fat on it it's unctuous rich I like that word, unctuous. That's the second time you've used it in this podcast. I'm going to have to practice the use of this word more. It's my my favorite word to describe bear meat because it's like (laughs) the perfect word for just like rich and fatty and and like and and smooth. But anyhow, uh, so that's yeah. So that was like the most mind blowing kind. When I was eating it, I was literally like I blacked out for a second. It was that good. (laughs) Um, And immediately, immediately I was like and I screwed up like. All kidding aside, guys, like I'm not good at social media. All the good stuff that happens at getdongohunting.com comes from from my my partner Lucas. Uh, and I'm like, I should be taking pictures of this. Like I'm eating this sandwich, and I'm like, what? There's gonna be no content creation here. I'm just gonna eat all of the content <laughs> creation. It was really that good. So I mean, that was one thing that we did, and, and I mean, we sous vide that, and it's a process. And I respect that. Like for some people, sous vide is this kind of like bourgeois or fancy kind of process that they don't have time for but with bear for the reasons we talked about earlier in this in this in this show and i think it's a really good tool to use because it gets you to that flavor profile of tenderness and and medium without the risk of the trick um but the other one that i did that i absolutely love and it's actually my favorite dish uh because it's it's kind of like uh i like to do time and place when i cook like it sounds kind of cheesy i guess but when i cook a meal with any wild game, I like to be kind of reminded of the hunt and I like to be reminded of the season we got it in. And uh, we had a bunch of bear shoulder that we didn't do for hams or anything like that. We just had shoulder roasts. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to take this shoulder roast. I had it thought out and I was thinking of doing a roast or a camp roast or a, or maybe a, um, a, uh, a Wellington. But I thought I'm going to make black bear bourguignon because uh, I've always equated black bear with beef like i don't know it's just because yeah. it's, it's, it's again it's that a really fine beef it's got good marbling it's tender it's got that really strong flavor so we made black bear bourguignon and again it's a process right it's not a just throw it in one pot and go you're browning pork and you're doing mushrooms and onions and you're browning meat and then you're letting it simmer to tender for tenderize for so long but honestly i've made it twice now because i made it once for myself my family just to kind of relive that winter stew feeling. Uh, and it was incredible. It was honestly like it jumped to the top of the finest wild game dishes I'd ever had. And then uh, a couple of friends of mine and my one cousin were like, that looks amazing. We got a freezer full of still eating off this bear. Can we make that the next time we see you? And then I saw him a month ago in turkey season, uh, this one cousin of mine, and I made it again for a you know a spring afternoon. So it wasn't a winter stew at this point. And uh, me and him and my uncle, like three bowls each and it was gone. Like it was, we weren't, there was no portion control. Like uh, it's honestly. We make it to have leftovers, but there are none. Exactly. And honestly. We eat, there's two dudes and we eat a gallon of soup. This, this isn't healthy. <laughs> exactly. I, like, and, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we're that, like we're that, those hunters, but like, you know, it was raining that day. We weren't turkey hunting. So we'd been drinking beer since the clock. I don't remember actually cooking a lot of the meal. <laughs> I know it was amazing, and uh, you know, uh, we we like to have fun. We like to. One of our philosophies at Get Go Hunting is like, you know, enjoy it, and it doesn't mean be a slob hunter. It doesn't mean drink and hunt. It just means like if you want to have some drinks with your friends and eat really delicious wild game, hammer down. And uh, and then, like I said, I would recommend it's on the website. You know, Randy already cleared the way for pitches. So at uh, at getongohunting.com, pitch it. <laughs> at getongohunting.com, there's going to be two recipes there. There's a, a black bear steak sandwich, 
black bear bourguignon. And if you got uh, any black bear steaks or roasts, uh, I would, I would definitely, definitely, uh, I'm completely biased. Make them. Man, these all sound great. Uh, I want to finish this off here as we round robin this and talk about uh, some barbecue bear. So this is an article that's up on Harvest in Nature, and it's by um, a gentleman who used to write for us. Uh, he's kind of gone on. He actually put out his own uh, book here recently, Josh Kirshner. Um, he does a lot of backcountry bear hunting, a lot of archery hunting in uh in the southwest u.s uh but he's got a nice barbecue bear recipe that he put up and it's just using a two to three pound bear roast so not really specific uh your typical or not typical that sounds kind of offensive but (laughs) your standard onion pepper uh red bell pepper yellow bell pepper and then of course being the southwest hatch chili uh, Colin, I wish Dustin was here so he could shout out how much he loves Hatch Chili. Yeah, uh, in case you don't know, he loves it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he missed his opportunity, but he's at work tonight, so that's okay. And then uh, just barbecue sauce. And with this, uh, this is crockpot method, so good for those days if you're going to go afield and, and want to leave your meal cooking. Uh, just 200 or so degrees in the crockpot, let it simmer all day, and then and come back and uh you know pull it and make some sandwiches being pretty straightforward yeah. definitely want to use that temp gauge coming back in to make sure you're hitting those temperatures though uh i'll reiterate that again and uh like i said coming new into it make sure you're doing your research doing the science but don't be afraid to get out and try bear meat hunt bear uh for food i mean it, it's it's out there it's a great food source and it's super delicious Colin, do you have any questions for these gentlemen? I actually, I had one outstanding question from earlier on uh, when you guys were talking about the in the flavor profile depends largely on not only the time of year but what it's eating as well, which I think is one of the more um, more prominent pieces of information regarding eating bear. But uh, say if it's something, if there's a bear that's gotten to a blueberry patch and it's been eating blueberries for weeks on end. Does the meat, is it actually going to come out with like a hint of blueberry or is it just an all around generic sweetness? I haven't got them off blueberries. I've got them off like service berries and Saskatoons and okay. um, those sort of things. And I don't think that my bear tasted like the berry. Okay. But I think that it had kind of a sweeter taste to it and the fat was cleaner um, than, than other bears I've had. So I, I don't think um anybody else be like that was a blueberry bear that's a saskatoon bear that's a service berry bear that's that's choke cherry bear i don't think that there's ever going to be quite that distinction okay um, it's, it's more of a spectrum it's a it's like that old line it's like pornography you know when you see it right it's just a kind of a good um a good a good spectrum in there for a berry bear is usually better than a fish bear or a track bear. okay but you're not you're not picking out specific flavors based on what it's eating yeah, I, I couldn't, and mine was mine mine died with a mouthful of berries. Right? Like, <laughs> couldn't get closer. <laughs> the reason that I shot it is because I saw a paw reach up, grab the berries, and bring it down, and that was the one bear that we were looking for. Yeah. And then my son whistled the Hunger Game Hunger Game theme song. Right back in like eight nine years ago, he whistled it, and the bear stood up and it had the big patch on its chest, just like the bear we've been hunting. So then it died. 
right? And it literally it had a mouthful of berries. Dang. So I couldn't tell that it was that berry versus any other berry. Maybe it just hadn't eaten the berries yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's it. No, no, we found it because that bear, when it ran, it was like a train, like a, kind of like a locomotive. It just like you'd see its haunches go forward and backwards on it every step that it took. And like it just jiggled. It's like Homer when he runs in the Simpsons. Yeah. Have you ever seen him do that? <laughs> that same sort of thing. That's how bad that bear was. I've always heard people like the analogy when a bear runs is kind of like a barrel rolling down a hill. Like that's that's a good analogy. I like that. I read that somewhere, and and I thought that was a great one because if you ever you know if you ever spook a bear if you're hunting bears and you see one run, that's what it looks like. It, they are just kind of this perpetual motion machine, especially if they've got a lot of fat on them. So, mm-hmm. all right, cool. Thanks for the info. I'll keep it in mind. I had one uh, one question too. Uh, rendering bear fat. Um, I think that's a good thing that. I I would like to see more people do, and I feel like people are definitely kind of uncomfortable with it because it's like nowhere else. It's not a common practice to render any kind of fat, even really to make clarified butter, unless you're kind of a homesteader out of a professional kitchen. Like not a lot of people are do that. Um, do you have any tips or tricks you could you could give a we'll say Cliff's Notes version of it? I the one thing I would say I'll maybe defer to Randy in a second, but I've I've tried it a couple times. And I just found lower temperatures are better. I think it's it's got a tendency to burn if you go to try to render fast. So patience is going to be a key there. A couple of times I've done it. And then just anecdotally, off this bear, I tried to render some fat. And uh, my wife didn't like the smell. I didn't notice it. But <laughs> my wife thought it was uh, a little uh, strong and refused to let me do it in the house ever again. So, so that's so slow and low on the temp. Uh, cliff notes, strain it, strain it, strain it, send it through a coffee filter, send it through anything. Because what happens is, is so you'll strain it and you're going to get, when you put it in the fridge, it'll last for years, right? Um, you're going to get this nice white Crisco-y looking stuff in the fridge. And if there's any little bits down at the bottom, those, even though they're in an anaerobic environment, basically they're covered with fat or the things that will start and turn the rest of it rancid. So you want to make sure you get every bit of those little brown bits or whatever out of it um, before you can. And then the other topic is, is when you're straining or when you're doing the slow and low, get it to the point where it stops bubbling and steam stops coming off. And you should be able to see the bottom of your quart pan or whatever that you're doing it in very, very easily. If it's cloudy at all, that means there's still water in it. That means it's not fully rendered. You basically want it to look like, look like a deep fryer chunks in it but you only want to get it to probably 220 225 basically enough for all the water to come out um boiling kettle water is 212 right so you want all the water to come out of the fat um and then you want to see absolutely crystal clear fat and, and you'll ruin that if you go too high on your stove so you want about a, a 225 and talking about uh storing shelf life wise what do you randy what do you recommend or sean recommend shelf life on rendered bear fat i'd say less than a decade if it's in the fridge <laughs> um but i've gone over a year right um on 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 bear fat for sure ours, did, so it, ours didn't last that long ours didn't make it that far <laughs> sure sure no for sure but so so mine was uh i would confit in it i do duck confit in it there you go. and so i would it was like master confit like i just used the same confit juice over and over and over and over until one day i was like I need to just, I don't know how many times it can't be healthy anymore. There's how many times I've cooked different <laughs> stuff in this number of, and it was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start over. And so, yeah, I did. 
Well, uh, I don't have any more questions. Do you guys have any questions? Thank you. If, That's uh, all I got. I, I appreciate being here. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. I appreciate the opportunity as well. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you guys on. Colin, yeah. last thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, not much. It was a pleasure talking to you both. So I learned a lot, and yeah, Justin's always a pleasure. Uh, do you guys want to plug your social media accounts real quick? Anybody give you a follow? Do all that fun stuff. I'll I'll link I'll link everything up in in the show notes. But if you hey, want, it, again, super creative at chefrandyking.com, um, and it's mostly pics of food, me, my children, and hunting. I mean, if you want to know what you're gonna see. Uh, beyond that, you two are open invite. Come up to Idaho. Let's go bear hunting. Um, and and we'll knock that off the list. So sure. How about it? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Come on up, guys. I, I I enjoy being like, honey, but I have friends from out of state coming. <laughs> you know, if I can, that one, it still works now. Huh? So I, I might as well use it. So come on up to Idaho, man. I got lots of stuff up here. Yeah, man. All right. Yeah, we're and we're at uh, getouthunting.com is the site. Like, uh, like I said earlier, it's it's a lot of stories, a lot of uh, cooking. We don't do a lot of tips and tricks and stuff like that. Uh, it's more of a, a little more uh, old school in the sense it's just you know stories about what we love about being outdoors. And then on Instagram, we're at getoutgohunting. Uh, we have a Facebook page slash getoutgohunting. And uh, I'll send you some personal handles if you want to follow me personally as opposed to the business. You're going to see some like deadlifting and punk rock concerts and my kids <laughs> <laughs> nice. So. Um, nice well everybody definitely uh, go check out these guys website putting out a lot of great content a lot of great cooking and some great conversations today um, also challenge you if you're not following following Harvest in Nature on social media go take care of that uh, all Harvest in Nature Twitter, Facebook, Instagram all those great things and then whatever podcast platform you listen to uh, go leave us a review, uh, hit some stars. Let us know what we're doing wrong. What we're no, let us know what we're doing right. And uh, other than that, have a good night. <laughs>